0: Will you pray with me, please? Ever welcoming God, we invite, you invite us to bring all that we are, our questions and our failures into your life-giving presence. Give us courage to live before you without pretense, that we may know the joy of forgiveness and renewal without fear of expulsion. Amen. Now, friends, I have to tell you, when Reverend Michael first brought me Dr. Robert Holden's book, Happiness Now, and told me that this was what he thought we ought to use for our Lenten study series, I had some hesitation. When I was in seminary, uh, it was drummed in our dear little ears that the Lenten season was a time to focus on your sins, right? Be mournful on the way to the cross, and I take that pretty seriously, as does Reverend Michael. Uh, so I was a little worried about happiness now. It felt to me a little as if we were taking a, a hopscotch jump over Good Friday toward Easter, landing too soon at resurrection, and not thinking deeply enough about what we needed to be thinking about on our way there. But Reverend Michael's a wise man, And I knew not to judge even this book, Happiness Now, just by its cover. And I'm really glad that I listened to my friend and colleague. Because, lo and behold, when I got into the texts that are assigned for these Sundays in Lent, the very first thing I saw in Psalm 32 for this first Sunday was the word happiness jumping off the page at me, right from the first sentence. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. My first thought was to wonder how Reverend Michael got Psalm 32 inserted into the lectionary. But then I remembered that the lectionary has been around longer than Reverend Michael has. So I took that for a God thing. And it told me to pay attention. Am I right? I needed to listen. Right here in our scripture lesson is a prescription for how to find happiness now. Not some unsustainable, giddy excitement. Not frenzied ecstasy. But real, sustainable contentment and abiding peace. The psalmist recognizes the source of much of the unhappiness we feel lies in the actions that separate us from the love and the peace and the justice of our Creator. While at the same time, it tells us how to cure what ails us, it gives us the prescription a talk with God. Could it really be that simple? Could it really be forever blessed just a little talk with Jesus? Where'd forever blessed go? Lost him. <laughs> Tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry and he will answer by and by. Could it really be that simple? Well, the psalmist wondered why he hadn't talked to God sooner. He'd grown to plenty. He had moaned under the weight of his sin, under the weight of depression. So difficult that it made him so tired, he just couldn't even hardly lift his head. Couldn't even get up. Have you ever been that depressed? Have you ever been that depressed about something you did and knew you did it? Me too. Me too. Some of us know that as hitting rock bottom. That place of deep despair that forces us either to look up or look out. It's that place at which we finally look at God and say, You know, I know I did this, but I need you to either come help me or put me out of my misery. One or the other. I've had it. Can't stand it anymore. Friends, if you are in that place this morning, I have good news for you. It is precisely in those moments, the kind like you might be experiencing right now, that God says, Thanks for asking. Thanks for asking. I'll show you a path forward. Now please, just come with me. Don't don't be like a mule that has to be used bit and bridle. Don't, Don't make me do it that way. Treat me like the friend that I am. And I'll be glad to guide you. If we will trust God to guide us, the psalmist says, we'll go out shouting for joy. And we want to believe that, don't we? Don't you want to believe that trusting in the source, staying in daily communication with God the Father, with our Mother Spirit, will cause us to experience, if not ecstatic joy, then at least deep and abiding contentment? Jesus believed it. We know from the gospel record that he quoted Psalm 32 to the disciples from time to time. It was a part of his... Ritual litany in his head. What Jesus also knew from experience though was that while daily communion with God will keep evil from defining your life, it won't keep evil from nipping at your heels. It's one of those odd twists of scripture that moments after Holy Spirit manifested as a dove of benediction at Jesus' baptism Remember that time just a few weeks ago? We read it here. When he was baptized, the dove came down from heaven as a sign of God's blessing. And in fact, God said, this is my child in whom I'm well pleased. It's one of those odd twists of scripture that right after that, that dove, the Holy Spirit, flitted off to a stone and then another rock and then a little thorn bush, and then a little scrubby tree, and began to lead Jesus out into the wilderness. Fresh from his confirmation as the child of God, in whom God is well pleased, Jesus was called not to shouting, rejoicing, but to prayer and fasting. The amount of time he spent in the wilderness doesn't surprise us. It's those same old 40 days, right? the same 40 that uh, Noah spent waiting on the rain, 40 days and nights, the same time that Moses spent on Mount Sinai and Elijah spent on Mount Horeb, it's that time that we just kind of know, 40 days, as a time of looking inward and looking upward in an acute way. What surprises us What shocks us each time we read this passage or hear it read is that the apparent payoff for pleasing God is trial and tribulation. It surely seems to us that having been raised right and having done the right things, the young Jesus should have been able to expect blessing on blessing on blessing like whipped cream piled up on top of strawberry shortcake. Isn't that how we want our lives to be? Lord, I've I've loved you. I've done the right things. I've tried to do right. Where's my blessing? Instead, Jesus was rewarded with visions of some of the ways in which God's world is broken. By hunger, by ego, and by power. Rather than a party in his honor after his confirmation, Jesus was sent to Child of God training camp where he confronted three major themes of his new ministry and mastered them. It was a wilderness experience to be sure, but he took Psalm 32 with him and also several other scriptures that helped him to stay focused on repairing the world he had come to save even as the destroyer was trying to lead him astray. Jesus had a habit of feasting on the positive, feasting on the word of God. So Jesus knew the difference between a meal that would satisfy and one that would leave him wanting more and more and more. He, who would later feed thousands at a sitting, refused to satiate his own personal hunger by making rocks Serve the purpose of bread. The tempter suggested that Jesus used the earth for his personal satisfaction, but Jesus reminded his attacker that the earth is our God's and that God is the source of all of our needs. Then the tempter appealed to Jesus' ego. It's as if the liar said, Hey, you got all these cool powers. Let's take them out for a spin. The pinnacle of the temple is the highest place in Jerusalem. And there's always a crowd at the temple. Let's let's go up there and you just jump off and see what happens. It'll be great. Some of you all laugh like you've had those conversations. (laughs) Jesus' response was again surprisingly simple and straight from Scripture. It's written... Don't tempt God. Our older brother knew who he was. And he knew better than to do something just because he could. Jesus was not a person who was above doing something dramatic. He would later calm storms and walk on water. But he knew who he was and he knew who it was that was asking him to take the leap. And in response, Jesus made clear who he was intended to serve. If God asked him to jump, it would be a leap of faith. When the devil asks you to jump, it's always suicide, whether fast or slow. The subtle one made one last attempt. Suddenly Jesus found himself on the top of a high mountain from which he could see all the nations of the world. The tempter finally showed all of his cards. The devil gave Jesus the option of total control of all he could see if Jesus would just bow down to worship Satan. But Jesus said, that's it. Now the truth is out. I know who has the real power and it isn't you. I worship only God. Jesus' final rebuke of the evil one is a reaffirmation of relationship between God and us. That same God who said back in the Psalms, Hey, come, let's talk about it. Whatever it is. It's not just all we need, that relationship. It's the best we can hope for. Evil has nothing to offer us because we already possess the whole world. We are children of the God of love. What can evil offer to us when angels wait at our command? Oh, now, Reverend Harry, some of y'all are saying, that sounds good on Sunday morning. But will it work on Thursday afternoon? Reverend Harry, my temptations don't show up in fast-induced visions on spiritual retreats. They don't come courtesy of identifiable demons. And by the way, I am not Jesus. Well, that's all right. That is all correct. I'll never forget the afternoon at the church I attended in Brooklyn, New York. We started the meeting late because we were waiting on Sarah, and Sarah was almost always on time. And finally, we just couldn't wait any longer, so we went, at, went ahead and started down the agenda. And finally, two or three lines into the agenda, here she came. And she arrived at the meeting. She was mad as a hen. She was balancing things, as so she dropped things down, and her hair's all disarray, and she plopped down in the chair with a thud. We thought, what in the world is the matter with Sarah? Then she began to tear up this meeting. And you know how it's done. She, she found a knit to pick on every agenda item. Right? She something ugly to say about everybody we were proposing that we work with, you know, and they're just all kinds of negativity. And we kept all of us looking at her like, would the real Sarah please come home? We don't know this person. And finally, she raised her hand and asked for a point of personal privilege. Well, that's what Robert's Rules would have called it. (laughs) She didn't do that. She said, hey, can we stop a minute? And we said, by all means, (laughs) what is the matter with you? And she said, friends, I'm sorry. I really am. I know I've been a jerk in this meeting. But she said, I've just come from another meeting at work. You all know I work for a manufacturer of soaps and shampoos. And she said, we had two agenda items at that meeting. One was to decide if we would make the hole on the bottle a little bigger so that more shampoo will fall out into the customer's hand than they really need to cleanse their hair. And the other agenda item was how to repackage our bottles to convince our customers that it's a bigger bargain. She said, I've been trying to focus while I've been here in this meeting on the work of the church, but I'm finding it hard because what I really am trying to decide is whether or not I'm still a Christian. That's how the tempter shows up. The agenda of our meeting changed as we ministered to our sister in her time of need. We talked with each other and with God about what is right and wrong and about the costs of discipleship. We got real about what lost paychecks mean in families with children. And Sarah came to the realization that it was precisely because of her children that she could no longer remain silent at work. She wasn't willing to wait on some generation after her children's for this world to be made a more just and livable place. But she knew it was going to cost her. Her conversation with us was a prayer of confession. And the work that she did in that setting was a reaffirmation of her commitment to God. By the time the meeting was over, her tears were dry, her smile had returned, she'd even run a brush through her hair. (laughs) She left the church amid the laughter of true friends, and Brooklyn and the world were a little more healed. Now, friends, no one who is headed to a cross is going to tell you that everything's going to be easy all the time. And Jesus certainly doesn't tell you that. But God offers us divine companionship as we seek to heal ourselves on the way to healing the whole world, no matter the magnitude of the sin, God wants to forgive it. No matter the challenge you are facing, God wants to help you find the strength and courage and the wisdom to get through it. The devil is not your sovereign. Your God is the Lord of love. Amen? Amen. The great desire of God through Christ Jesus... Is daily communion with us. Therefore, we can offer our gifts with thanksgiving for all God is doing to reconcile and heal us. And we can come to this God's table with joyful countenances, shouting our praise. Amen.